Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Lock and Load. Whenever soldiers are moving from a green zone into a red zone, they will hear the words lock and load. After that moment, the battle has begun. As a church, our best days are ahead of us, so it's time for us to get ready to battle and contend for the hearts of people. Our prayer is that you begin to prepare yourself as we begin to share the love of Christ with this community and the world. Morning. How you doing? Everybody good? Man, excited today. Um, we're going to jump into the fourth week of this Lock and Load series. We're looking at getting ready. The, the last few words you'll hear from someone who is uh, going into battle. Um, the last One of the last instructions is always lock and load. Get ready. Get ready to go. And uh, so we want to be getting ready and preparing for all that God's got planned for us uh, in the future. And so we're going to be in, in this series one more week. Next week we're starting a new one called A Better Story. And I uh, believe in and just really feel like God's going to do some awesome things through that series. So I want you guys to be preparing and praying for that. But before we jump in, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning there. But before we do that, obviously we have some guests here with us this morning. And uh, super excited about that. And uh, our Georgia Southern football team is here. So if I could have the, the football team, you guys stand. We'd like to recognize you. Uh, let's give them a round of applause. Proud of these guys. Proud of, uh, proud of the tradition we have here in Statesboro and all that Georgia Southern football means to the community. Thank you, guys. If we could get now the coaching staff, would you mind standing for us so we could just recognize you guys? Thank you, guys, for all your hard work, your sacrifice, everything you do. Thankful for you. And now if we could get to the brains of the operation, if we could have the coaches' wives stand. The brains, the real strength behind this. The wives, yeah. Glad to recognize them. Thankful for all the sacrifice you guys make. Obviously, we look forward to those Saturdays um, every fall and uh, everything that goes on. And I don't know if y'all know this, coaches, but I'm somewhat of a coach myself. And uh, I don't mean to mean to brag or boast, but I did coach the ten and under machine pitch all stars, second place in state this year. So just wanted to throw that out there. Also. Seven and eight-year-old seven-on-seven flag football. So if you ever want to talk X's and O's, I'll be glad to share anything I got free of charge. So, um, but we are glad you guys are here and praying that God really works in people's hearts. If you're a new, uh, a new guest here or you've been coming for a long time, our prayer is always the same, that God does something awesome uh, in this place today. He's here. Um, he's faithful to his word. We're two or more gather in his name. He's here. And so I'm praying that he opens our eyes and our heart to that reality and that he does a great work in our lives. Um, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Um, and what I'd like to do is just pray. And then we'll jump in here and, and just, just believe in that God's going to do a great work in our hearts. So let's pray and then we'll get going. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your, the life you give us, an opportunity. God, today I pray that this uh, message would come with power. Not just with words or performance, God, I pray that it would be with power, with the power of your word. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. I pray that it would pierce our hearts today. God, I pray for the person in here today who thinks he's the farthest from you, who, could, who really probably would believe that they are unreachable, or the one, God, who feels they've drifted so far away they could not be grabbed hold of by you. I pray that their eyes would be open to see this God of relentless love who never quits pursuing us, God, who is the hound of heaven who chases us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
How many of you, um, if you could snap your fingers, raise your hand, do uh, a little dance, whatever, uh, would, would say, I'd like to be perfect. If I could just be perfect, if we could just go ahead and make this thing perfect, that everybody here was perfect, that everybody around you was perfect, that the world was perfect. How many of you would raise your hand, like just snap your fingers, whatever it took, you'd do it, right? Who'd be, who'd be willing to do this? All right, y'all are a little more awake. Yeah, snap, snap, it doesn't happen. I've tried everything. Tapping your shoes together doesn't work. All right. Um, and, and here's the reality. We live as imperfect people in an imperfect world and, and we struggle. I mean, we struggle a lot of times. And this was never more real to me than Friday morning. Um, Friday morning uh, is typically the morning that I get the kids to school by myself. That in and of itself ought to tell you that there's something bad coming. Right. So three boys, I got Dake that's 10, Jackson that's seven, Reed that's two, and I'm getting them up. Usually I try to let Susan sleep in. She never really gets to because it's hard to sleep when the kids are yelling and I'm yelling and people are crying, right? Sometimes it's the kids, sometimes it's me, but, but people are crying. Um, there's all kind of noise. And so she usually ends up helping get them ready, get them out the door. Well, this was no, um, this was not, this was just a typical Friday morning, man. We're, we're, we're getting things going. We're trying to get out the door, trying to get moving. And the kids are crying. My seven-year-old all of a sudden can't figure out how to put shoes on. I don't know how they forget that so quickly, but he's like, I can't put my shoes Put your shoes on or I will remove your feet. You know what I'm saying? You get to that point. And, and so I'm like, just put your shoes on. I don't have any socks. Go get some socks. Okay, fine. Get the socks. And so we're finally trying to get out the door. We're trying to get to the, to the truck. And finally, Susan's just got Reed, the two-year-old. And so she's putting him in the seat. I'm like, if I can ever get out of this driveway, we'll be okay. And so during this process, it's probably three or four minutes. She's um, getting the baby in the car seat. And, and we're starting to back out. And as soon as I put it in reverse and start to go, it's been a three or four-minute process of getting in the car. Jackson, who sits behind me in the truck, um, has forgotten to close his door. And so I hear everybody, all of a sudden, I have no idea, everybody's screaming, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, what? What has happened? I'm thinking I've run over a child. I turn around and I look and the basketball goal is falling. What in the? And I look and, and the basketball goal falls, barely misses the truck. And I turn around and I'm like, why didn't you close the door? Right? I mean, it seemed like a logical question to me. You know what I'm saying? Why didn't you close the door? And so then, this is Jackson. Yeah, he's crying. Susan just shuts the door. She's like, I'm out. And she goes back to the house. Reed's over there. He's going, I want my mama. I want my mama. And then Dake's giving me these looks like, you're the worst dad in the history of dads. And so we're riding down the road, and I'm like, I don't even know how to dig myself out of this one. I'm just like, I just don't understand. God, why don't you, why don't you just listen? If y'all listen, everything will be fine. Why haven't you closed the door? And Dake's giving me the looks, and they're still crying in the back. And then it hits me. I'm like, I'm such a great dad. And then the phone rings. It's Susan. And I'm like, hello. And she's like, hey, how are things? I'm like, how do you think things are? They're all crying. Dake's cussing me out with his eyes. How do you think things are? Things are not good. I'm the worst dad in the world. And she's like, well, just let me talk to Dake. And so he's like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And the whole time I'm thinking, he's probably, she's probably like, he is a bad dad, but you need to love him anyway. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh. And so finally, hang up the phone and we get to school. And here's my life. We have that happen on Friday morning. And then I'm supposed to go in like a saint on Friday morning to the office, open up my Bible and be like, Lord, speaketh to thee. You know what I'm saying? And my heart's like, I'm terrible. How do I even focus on what's going on? How do I even pick up my Bible? Because here's the reality. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. We're imperfect. We live in an imperfect world. Things just aren't 
right sometimes. And we struggle with these things. And, and, and I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about how many times in life um, we have to put up and give people instructions. Like we, we're giving instructions because things aren't perfect. We're, we're giving instructions on how to do things. Like instructions on Christmas morning that the guys never use, right? Those types of things that, that, that we're given. We're given warnings. We're given different things that, that are supposed to guide us in this imperfect world to keep us from harm. And I was thinking about that this week. I Googled a few things just to check and see because I figured there were some pretty crazy warnings out there. And these are some of the ones that I came across. This is a Superman outfit. I can see my two-year-old wearing this, but the label says wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. And what's crazy about these things is the reason I think they have to do this is because somebody probably tried it, right? Who put it on and actually jumped? The next one is a Dremel drill. And the warning, this product is not intended for use as a dental drill in human or veterinary medical applications, right? And that makes my teeth hurt just thinking about it. Anybody, you just think about the drill, and it's like, ow, ow. And so the last one, the old sunshade, right? Works good, keeps the sun out of your your car. Do not drive with sunshade in place. Remove from windshield before starting the ignition. Like, do you really have to tell somebody that, right? There's warnings everywhere. There's instructions everywhere. In this imperfect world, as imperfect people, we have guidelines that keep us in line. We have things like stop signs, right? Those are important. Can you imagine if all the stop signs were just removed one day? Be chaotic. Right down from our road, there's a stop sign. And we have to go by it going to my parents' house. Every, every time we go, we go by this stop sign. And the sign says at the top, don't. And then at the middle, stop, because it's a stop sign. Get it, get it. And I'm riding down the road with my 10-year-old who can read. And he's like, Daddy, why does that sign say don't stop, get it, get it? I'm like, I don't know, son. Turn on the radio. And, and, but we have signs. They, they instruct us. They guide us. We have warnings. We have things that we're given that keep us in line, that keep us moving in the right direction, that become boundaries, parameters for us to guide us, to, to get us in the right direction, to try to keep us from harming. None of us would say stop signs are put there to harm us, right? Sometimes they're inconvenient, but they're good. It's good instructions. It's good warning. I was reading this chapter in Matthew the other day, in chapter 7, and I started seeing all of these warnings that Jesus was given. But here's the way I think we perceive these and hear these a lot of times as the church, is Jesus gives a warning, and a lot of times what we hear is that Jesus is sometimes somehow trying to take life from us rather than give us life. Does that make sense? Like he, he gives us this instruction and somehow we read it and in our minds, and maybe we wouldn't communicate it this way, but in our minds we think if I truly follow Jesus and live according to his word, then ultimately I'm not going to be fulfilled, right? Ultimately he's going to take from me, he's going to take from me, and I'm not going to get anything in return. And a lot of times we see Jesus' instructions, we see his warnings on relationships, on marriage, on, on, on how we work, on how we, we go about our lives. We see it as something that's going to take away rather than give life. But the thing I want you to see in this is just like the warnings that are surrounding us, the instructions that are surrounding us in life, God gives us instructions, he gives us warning not to hurt us, but to help us. And if you look at Matthew chapter 7, you begin to see this. Jesus gives all of these things. He talks about not judging people, which thank God for a church that you can walk into and you're not judged, right? That you can have people come from all different walks of life and they can come in to hear God's word and not be judged. He, he talks about this narrow and wide gate. He gives a warning, don't enter in the wide gate. Come through the narrow gate. Come through me. Come through Christ. He forgives you of your sins and makes a way for you to have life. He talks about the fruit of, of uh, false prophets. 
People who proclaim the word of God but have no fruit. He talks about the fruit and, and the actions and, and uh, that there are actually false followers, right? That aren't truly followers of God. And then we come to this one that I want to spend the rest of our time on today. And it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And it will read through verse 27. This is a warning about how we build our life. But when you hear this, I want you to understand that Jesus is saying this not to try to kill us, but to heal us, right? Not to try to hurt us, but to help us. And so 724, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It's important because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. What Jesus is telling us here is this. Listen, if you'll build your house on my word. If you'll build your house on me, the rock, if you'll just do what I'm telling you to do, you'll be built on a foundation that will not be shaken. No matter what comes tomorrow, no matter what comes next week, you can live in security knowing that no matter what comes, you have a strong foundation, a foundation that cannot be taken away. And Jesus paints this picture of two houses. He said, there's two houses. And he said, if you look at both of these houses, you'll see that they're both secure, that they both look like they're secure. And in Palestine, in the area where Jesus was, the land of Israel, the, the, the land was dry. But there were times when these dry valleys, because of torrential rainfall, they'll just become raging rivers. And Jesus says, look, here's the reality. The one that's built on sand, the one that doesn't do the things that I ask him to do, that I tell him to do, that heeds the warnings I give, that give, heeds the instruction I give. He's like the one who builds his life on this sand. But when those rains come and that wind blows and all hell breaks loose in life, it just knocks the house down because it's not planted. It's not built on something that can last. But if you'll dig deep and you'll just follow my instructions and you'll follow me and you'll trust me and you'll put your faith in me. I'll set your feet upon a rock. You'll be building your life on something that when the winds come and the rains come and you think you can't stand anymore and the house is shaken and all hell breaks loose, the foundation will still remain and you will stand. Amen. Y'all got to wake up, right? Yeah. He says, this is what it looks like. And it's real important that we see this because Jesus says, he who does these words of mine, and he says, builds on this rock. And there's some things that Jesus is telling us in that. One of them is this. He's saying, basically, these words of mine will keep you secure. They'll hold you. Basically, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I'm God. If you'll do what I say, I have the power to hold your life. The other thing he's doing, he's saying, I'm the rock. If you'll build your life on me and my teachings, it will not fall. Even in times when you feel like it's going to fall, it will not fall. I will hold it together. He holds all things together. I'll take care of it. If you'll just trust me, build your house, build your foundation on me, the rock. And so when these Jewish people, when they heard this, they immediately would have gone back to the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, right? When the prophets and these Old Testament people, they were, they were just seeing a shadow of what was to come. They were seeing that, that God was telling them there was a Messiah coming, the anointed one, the Christ who would save his people and save the world. And they would immediately go back. And this is kind of the line of thought that they would 
basically have is their connection in their mind would be this. Rock equals God equals Messiah equals Jesus. That's basically how their line of thinking would roll. God equals the rock equals the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who's to come to save the world equals Jesus. And so we begin to see that their understanding of building their life on the rock would be greater than our understanding. He wasn't just saying it's like a concrete foundation that you build your house on. He was saying a tremendous amount in that one sentence because these people would have understood more of what he meant as a rock. Why? Because they'd been reading about this coming Messiah and this rock and how amazing he would be and how powerful he would be hundreds of years before he gets on the scene. And so today, real quick, what I want to do is I want to take us through some of these things that they would have known Jesus claiming to be and what many and billions of people have found out to be true over the last almost 2,000 years, that he is the rock. And so I want to go back. First, let's start in Isaiah chapter 55. You don't have your Bible. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. You can stop by our guest services table. We'd love to give you a Bible. But the first thing I want to look at is in Isaiah 55. Verses 10 and 11. I want us to look at what does it mean when Jesus becomes my rock? When I cry out, Jesus, save me. And the Bible talks about us building our life on the rock. What does it mean? What does that really, in a broader perspective, what does it mean? What does it mean for you guys to build your life on a rock? Not on sand. What does it mean for us to, to be living for something bigger than ourselves? Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. This is Isaiah the prophet, 900 years before Christ, he's prophesying the coming of Jesus and all that God would do. And he says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Listen, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The first thing I would tell you is when you build your life on Christ, when you build your life on the rock and you're following Jesus, your life's being built on something dependable. Jesus is dependable. That's what Isaiah is saying. He's, he's speaking the message of God to God's people. And he's saying, listen, folks, here's the reality. When I speak, my word accomplishes everything I sent it to do. And my word is dependable. It never fails. It always delivers. It always comes through. It always works. It always does what it's called or what it's sent out to do. Here's the thing, guys. We know a lot of people in our lives who don't always do what they say they're going to do, right? We know people who are, are willing to tell just a little lie, right? Yeah, I'll do that. And then you never see them, right? For example, last week, my two-year-old, Connection Kids, he's standing there. PK, right? Preacher's kid. Microscope on him. He's standing there. He says, my daddy preaching. My daddy read the Bible. Wham! Hits the kid next to him. No apparent reason. Just clobbers the kid. After church, I'm like, hey buddy, how'd it go? Good. Did you hit? Me not hit, dad. They said you hit. Me not hit, dad. Doesn't always do, do right, right? And they doesn't always tell the truth. And we're working on that. I mean, we're trying. We're, he's two. We're trying to work through that. We, you know, we're like, Reed, you know that. That sends you to hell. Don't, you know that, right? You're two, but you got to come to some of these realizations, 
right? We turn on the oven, just stick his head just a little bit, just, just a little. It's, it's hot in there, Reed. Don't lie to mama and daddy. Hot, hot, bad, bad. You lie bad. Hot place, hot place is bad, right? And, and, and so we tell him, um, uh, we're really trying to teach him that. But, but people don't always do what they say. That's not how God is. God always does what he promises. God's dependable. If he says it, he's going to do it. Funny thing is, in the South, everybody's Christian, right? Everybody's Christian. But I wonder how many people in here today, are we really building our lives on Christ? Are we really obedient to his word? I would say that faith that doesn't lead to obedience is not saving faith. We grow in obedience as we grow in Christ. I'd ask you this question. How can we say we trust Jesus with our eternity if we don't trust him for today? How can we say we trust Jesus for eternity if we don't trust him for today? If we're not willing to say your teaching's right, what you say is right. I know it doesn't make sense to me, but I trust you, God. If we can't trust him with simple things today, how can we say we trust him with our eternal life? Listen, what you put your trust in and build on today will be what you have to depend on tomorrow. What you put your trust in and build on today will be what you have to depend on tomorrow. What are you building your life on? Is it something that can sustain? Is it something that, that will hold? Is it something that's secure? Or is it something that will be gone in the blink of a moment, blink of an eye? Second one is this, out of Psalm 27, 1 through 5. First one, he is dependable. We can trust what he says. Psalm 27, 1 through 5. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, and he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. These words were written by a man named David. Most of us have probably heard of David and Goliath. But David's whole life was a life of deliverance. It was a life of seeing the power of God. From the time he was a shepherd boy in the fields, tending sheep and fighting off lions and bears, to fighting Goliath, to ending up fighting all the enemies that surrounded Israel, being within inches of his life many times and seeing the hand of God pluck him from, that, from his enemies and save his life and do what he had promised to do. And we begin to read these scriptures and we begin to see that for David, he understood that when God set him high upon a rock, that God could become then his confidence and his courage. This is what happens when these people would hear that he is our rock. They knew we can put our confidence confidence in him. He is our strength. He is our courage. And David here says this, that he is my confidence. He is my courage. Whom shall I fear? So if God's for us, why are we worried about who's against us? If our critics are loud and we need to shut them up and say, I'm going to listen to the voice of God. Doesn't matter what they say. It matters what he says. I'm going to build my life on something else and he gives me courage and he gives me strength to face tomorrow because he lives we sing it because he lives i can face tomorrow all because he lives he gives me courage and he gives me strength to face whatever comes down the pipe there are people in here today you're going through living hell you're going through stuff and this is what i would say grab hold of the lord quoting the words of david he talks about how he wants to dwell in his house all days gazing dwelling in the tabernacle he says set me on a rock that we come into his presence, we dwell, we draw our strength and our confidence from him. 
I was thinking about uh, the football team and I was thinking about the coaching staff this week and um, I was thinking about how much better y'all would probably sleep on Friday night if you knew you were going to be undefeated for the rest of ever, right? For eternity. Undefeated, right? I was thinking, that would have to be comforting to know. Tomorrow we're playing Alabama. Tomorrow we're playing Georgia. Tomorrow we're playing Savannah State. Okay, bad example. But we're playing somebody that is an imposing enemy. They're, they're an impo- imposing team. How much better would you sleep knowing they're going to run the plays perfect? They're going to execute every play? They're going to do it right? We're going to win? I got nothing to fear. I got nothing to fear. Obviously, that's not the case. Because we think about that. We wonder what's going to happen. But the thing I'll tell you is this. God is eternity and O. Right? He's never lost. He's unbeatable. So at the end of the day, if our lives are built upon the rock of Christ, if our lives are built upon him, upon God, who is without beginning and without end, upon Jesus, who's the alpha and the omega, that he is the beginning and the end. Listen, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? We face things that are daunting. We wonder how we're going to get through it. What do we have to fear if our lives are built upon Christ and he's the source of our confidence and courage? I'll tell you this, that what you put your trust in and build on today will be your source of confidence and courage tomorrow. What you put your trust in and build on today will be your source of confidence and courage for tomorrow. What are you building your life on? Third one is this out of Psalm 40. Verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. This is David again. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David saying, listen, I waited for the Lord. He delivered me. The third one I would tell you is that he is our restoration. David says, I'm in this slimy pit. I'm in this bad place. But God pulled me up out of the mire. He pulled me up out of the muck. He pulled me up out of my own bad decisions. And he set my feet upon a rock. How many of you have ever heard of this little thing called noodling? Anybody ever heard of that? Noodling? Noodling? How many of you have ever actually gone noodling? Anybody raise your hand? Where you fish for catfish with your hand, right? You stick your hand in these holes, in these slimy, muddy places, which anything to me where you become the bait is a bad idea because the fish bites your hand and then you pull them out. And see, I will never in my life go noodling. And here's one reason, because these things live in muddy, slimy places, right? We killed that in my side yard this week. We didn't, our neighbor did Susan called me. She was like, oh, this, we just killed this in our side yard. I'm like, you killed that? Well, actually, our neighbor killed that. And in our side yard, I hate snakes. That's actually a rattlesnake, but that's actually a good snake. You know why? Dead. <laughs> it has a hole about six inches from its head. Good snake, dead snake. But those things live there. Those things live in those 
pits. They live in those things. Maybe not rattlesnakes, but water moccasins. Worse, right? And so these things are there. I don't go sticking my hand in those places. But here's the thing I know about people and I know about myself is that it's easy for us to end up in those places. It's easy for us to find ourselves in a fallen place, in a pit, that it seems like even when we try to get out, we can't get out. This is where David was. And he says, I cried out. I waited on the Lord. And the Lord pulled me up. He took me out of the mire. And he set my feet upon a rock, upon a firm foundation. He took me out of the junk of my life, out of all of the sin, out of all the mistakes, out of all the things I did. And he pulled me up out of that place. And he set my feet upon a foundation. He forgave me. And he healed me. And he cleansed me. And he restored me. He is our restoration. Number three, he is our restoration. When we come to Jesus and we simply say, Jesus, save me. I need you. He becomes our restoration. He restores new life to us. He restores life, abundant. Even when our circumstances aren't right and we're faced with pressures and we're faced with just just living in an imperfect world, God restores us and he gives us strength. Here's the thing I think about. If God were blind or he was somehow incapable of seeing and he wasn't all-knowing and he wasn't all-present and and he was none of those things and he was senile and he was forgetful and all of this stuff, then I could understand how God could let sin go. But here's the thing. God knows. He's seen it all. He knows what we've done. He's seen all of the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've done. He knows who we've done it with. And at the end of the day, God just says, if you'll let me, I'll pick you out of that pit. That's a good God, right? Isn't that an awesome God who says, listen, I know you've made a mistake. I know you've screwed it up, but here's the reality. I'm bigger than your mistake. I'm bigger than your screw up. If you'll just go, yeah, I'll receive it. I'll pick you up, set your feet upon a foundation and give you a new life and teach you to walk in a new way. That's a pretty good deal. Because he's God. He's a good God. He does good things. For his children. David said he put a new song in my mouth. Some of us today, listen, we don't feel like singing. We don't feel like rejoicing. We don't feel like we've got much to rejoice about. But the reality of God is this. He'll give us joy in the midst of the worst circumstances. If we'll cling to him, we'll hold to him. We went through all of this with my dad. That was, that was my parents that you saw in the video today. We went through all of this. The last seven years have been hell for him. And I can tell you this. If I had not been on a firm foundation, my entire world would have fallen apart. And I can tell you the wind and the rains blew hard against this house, against me, against my faith, but it stood, not because I'm all that, but because God's all that, and he held me in place. What you build on today will be what has the power to keep you from sinking tomorrow. What are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? Next one out of Psalm 18, 1 through 3. It says, I love you, Lord. I wonder when the last time we just said, I love you, Lord. There's power in just saying, God, I love you. I love you, Lord. Oh, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. I'm saved from my enemies. So God comes. He becomes our strength. This is David. Again, this is after David had been saved, literally saved from King Saul and came within inches of his life. He's like, I love you, Lord. You're my strength. You're my rock. You've delivered me time and time again. The fourth one is that, is that he becomes our strength. When our feet are planted upon the rock, he becomes our strength. And here's the reality. I'm going to ask Matt Wise if he'll come up on stage real quick. Um, 
Here's the reality. My strength fails, right? My strength always fails. No matter what, I always end up tired. No matter what, I run out. No matter what, my strength fails. And here's how I know this. Because every week, three to four times a week, I work out with him. We look like twins, don't we? I mean, he's like huge. The other day we go work out and we're doing some diet, some busy diet workout from hell. I don't know what it was. And, and we're working out and, and there's three sets of dumbbells. There's three of us. One guy ends up with the twenties. One guy ends up with the 25s and one guy ends up with the thirties. Guess who ends up with the thirties? Me. Yeah, that makes sense. And he's over there with the 25s. And here's the thing I find out every week is that my strength runs out. It runs out before his. But the reality of it is his strength runs out. The good news of the gospel and the good news of Jesus and the good news of God is that his strength never runs out. When we're at the end of our road, sometimes it's the best place to be because we can finally let go and let God be our strength. Amen. All right, I'm done with you. You can go sit down now. So his strength never runs out. My strength runs out. His never does. He becomes our strength. He's the rock that we stand on. We cling to him. We hold to him and he holds to us. We get through things and situations in life where we look back and go, that wasn't pleasant. I prefer not to have gone through it, but the reality of it is his grace brought me through. The only thing I can say is his grace got me through that because I could not have made it without some type of supernatural power, the strength of God in my life. What you put your trust in and build your life on today will be your source of strength tomorrow. Are you building on something? Are you building on someone that can sustain you tomorrow and be a source of power and strength for you tomorrow? The last one I'll tell you is out of this same text. It's the second half of verse two. It says that he is my shield, that God, Jesus is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's the horn of my salvation. When they use the word horn, what they're really saying is he is my strength in salvation. He is the one that holds my salvation. Saying basically, I'm not the one who saves me. God is. If it were up to me to be saved, I'd be in trouble. I'm imperfect. Right? Obviously from Friday morning, I'm imperfect. Obviously from Friday morning, I need to repent. So from Friday morning, yeah, it was a bad morning. And, and the reality of it is that, that if salvation was based on what I do, then I'd be in trouble. But salvation is based on the strength of God. It's based on what he's done. And when I daily reflect on that, when I daily walk in that, when I daily experience him, when I daily have an encounter with God and the power of his Holy Spirit, he begins to change me from the inside out. He begins to work in me. He begins to change my heart. He gives me a new heart and I begin to live a new life. Here's the problem for most people in the South. We begin to try to live a new life apart from God. We'll come to Christ and go, yes, I need salvation. I put my faith in Jesus. Um, Yeah, and I'm going to be saved. But then we begin to try to live this life apart from him. How do we think we can live and produce supernatural fruit in our life? Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control, all of these things, how can we produce that fruit apart from that God? We can't. It's not in us. But he becomes the strength of our salvation. I was trying to think about a way. How do I demonstrate what God has done for us? How do I I try to make this clear? And I thought about something this week. I've never shared it until this morning with our church. And and it was something that happened when uh, my son, my oldest son, was about one, one and a half, two years old. 
We're watching a movie. How many of you have seen the movie The Sandlot? Yeah, like you can't be American without seeing The Sandlot, right? Y'all need to watch that movie. It's like the best movie ever. And so we're watching this movie. We're sitting in the floor playing and not really paying attention to it. We'd already seen it. I'd just seen it probably a hundred times. And so it's on. But one part of this movie caught my attention and I began to watch it. And if you remember, what's the climactic scene in this movie? Anybody remember? Towards the end. When they go to what? Get the ball back from the beast. Whose name was really Hercules. Right? The big dog. And the ball gets hit over the fence, but it wasn't an ordinary ball, was it? What ball was it? You remember? It's interactive. You can talk. It was signed by Babe Ruth. It was Smalls, the main character. It was his stepdad's ball. And so he goes, he gets the ball out of his stepdad's trophy room, and he brings it out. They're playing ball. Benny the Jet Rodriguez, what an awesome name, Hits the ball over the fence. It goes into the the yard of this man who, um, according to legend, eats children. And also the beast is there who also eats children. And so they can't get the ball back. But Smalls knows if I don't get this ball back, I'm dead. And so what do they do? They start trying to get the ball back. They go and they take and they have this robot thing that goes and picks the ball up and it scoops it up and it throws the ball in the air and the ball's about to come over the fence and they're all ready to catch it with their gloves. And then the beast does what? He like comes in, Hercules jumps and he takes the ball, catches it in his mouth and he's like, y'all can't get this ball, right? And then they take the cat, which is particularly my favorite part is when they lower the cat down into all kinds of peril and danger and you're like, please eat the cat, right? And and they lower the cat down and the cat's supposed to claw the baseball and bring it back over. That doesn't work. And everything's falling apart. Nothing's working. They're trying to get this ball back and they can't get it back. And so finally, inspired by a dream with Babe Ruth, um, Benny the Jet Rodriguez decides, I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'll take matters into my own hands. And he goes and he gets the best tennis shoes in the world. What are they? PF Flyers. And he laces them up tight and he's like, guys, meet me at the sandlot. And they get there and he's like, I'm going to jump the fence. I'm going to get there. Like, don't do it, Benny. Don't do it. He's like, I got to do it, guys. And so he jumps the fence. He runs, grabs the ball. He jumps back over the fence and everything's great, right? Until the dog jumps the fence too. And then this chase ensues and they begin to chase him and he runs and he's running through town. He's going all over the place and and the dog's chasing. They run through a a birthday cake. They're running all over the place. And then finally, Benny the Jet, he's like, guys, meet me back at the sandlot, back at the sandlot. And they get back there and through a series of events, the fence ends up falling on Smalls and falling on Hercules. And they find out what about Hercules? He's not as bad as they thought. They think he's about to eat Smalls. He ends up licking him. They find this dog's not as bad as we think he is. But then they've got another problem. They've got the ball, and it looks about like this at this point, right? And they've got the dog, but they still got to get the dog back to the owner who eats children. And so they go and they knock on the door. And the, the man comes to the door, James Earl Jones, and he comes to the door and he, he's blind. He can't see. And so he's like, who's there? And they're like, um, us, sir. And they're like, he's like, what do you want? He's like, we got your dog. He's like, Hercules? What's he doing now? And so they go in and he finally invites them in. And they said, we're trying to get our ball back, sir. And he invites them in and they go in and, and he says, let me hold that ball. And he grabs the ball and he smells it, which I've never really understood because all it's going to smell like is whatever the dog had been eating before. But he smells the ball, supposedly smelling like the leather and the ball and all that stuff. And, and so he smells it and he's like, what's so special about this ball? And he's like, uh, Babe Ruth signed that, sir. He's like, you're not in trouble. You're dead where you stand. Right? You remember that? And they're like, yes, sir, we know. And so he, he starts laughing. He's like, 
Um, you know, George Herman Rue signed this ball. He's like, George? And so he knew him. He played with these guys. And so he walks over to his trophy case and he reaches in and pulls out another baseball. And he pulls it out. And when he, he gets it, he looks at it and he says, here, you take this ball. And he goes, no, sir, you don't understand. That ball's signed by Babe Ruth. I've got to have the other ball. And he says, no, this one's signed by Babe Ruth too, along with the rest of the 27 Yankees. And he gives them a ball that's not only signed by Babe Ruth, but signed also by Lou Gehrig. And the whole 27 Yankees was one of the best baseball teams in the history of baseball. And he gives them this ball and, he, and they're like, no, we can't take that. That's it's not right. It's not fair. We can't take that ball from you. And he says, I tell you what, let's make a deal. If I give you this ball, you give me that ball and you guys come by and let's talk baseball a couple of times a week. We'll call it even. And they're like, okay, okay, cool. And it was at that moment when he reached in the trophy case, grabbed this ball that was signed by Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, all these 27 Yankees and said, I'll swap you this ball for this ball that God spoke to my heart and said, that's what I did for you through Christ. I took your life that looked like this, and believe me, it looked like this. Didn't grow up in church, didn't really know God. Went occasionally, Christmas and Easter kind of thing, every now and then. Didn't know the Lord, went through all the stuff, played baseball at Georgia Southern for a few years. I know what that's like, I know where that goes. For me, it wasn't a good time. Hit rock bottom, it was March 17th of... Or 2000 in Savannah, Georgia, St. Patrick's Day on a bachelor party. One plus one plus one equals not a good situation. This was my life. This was bad. I thought I'd run far and, and, and gotten away from God. There was no way God could care about me. And then one day, I realized this isn't working. I was like those kids trying to get on the other side of the fence to get everything I could to try to make myself happy, to find fulfillment, and, and nothing was working. Nothing could secure my, this foundation. Nothing had the power to sustain life or give life. And I realized that all the time I thought I was running from God and my life looked like this, that when I finally turned around, he was waiting. And he gave me a better life. And it wasn't because of something I did. It's because of who he is and what he did for us through Christ, taking our sin and giving us a new life. And he gave me this life. Not righteous on my own account, but righteous in his account. He poured out his righteousness on me. And he covered me. And he said, you're mine, period. I forgive you. And almost like that man said, if you'll come by a couple of times a week and talk baseball with me, God says, if you'll just give me your life, I'll give you more life than you ever thought possible. And today, this is where we stand. We say, Jesus saved me. He takes this life and he gives us this life. He takes what's old and crusty and damaged and honestly, no good. And he gives us a new life. To live and glorify him and enjoy him forever. What an awesome, amazing God. It takes our sin and gives us righteousness. It takes our sin, gives us forgiveness. It takes our sin, gives us life. It takes our death and gives us life. That's our God. Sometimes we see a picture of God that's been, mis- that's been portrayed wrongly by his followers. But this is our God. The God who saves, the God who we depend on, the God who gives us courage and confidence, the God who gives us strength, the God who's our rock that we stand on. But my question today is this, are you living your life, are you building on a foundation that can sustain you? Are you building your life on something that'll last forever? 
Are we building on something? Temporary. Something that's sure to fail. Eventually. Here's the thing I know. Love football. Love baseball. Baseball was my thing. But there comes a day when you have to take the cleats off. There comes a day when you have to take the helmet off. All that comes to an end. There comes a day when you can't work anymore. There comes a day when your children grow up and move away. There comes a day when nothing's left. Unless we built our life on a foundation, on someone who gives life. That's my question. That's my hope for you is that you know him, that you are building your life on him. I can promise you this. You'll never get to the end of your life and regret having lived for God. I've never heard one person who's in a situation where their life was coming to an end say, I wish I had not lived for God all those years. So I won't regret it. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us, for saving us, for giving us life. God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, we are honored that the Georgia Southern football team's here, but God, even more important than a football team, they're your people. They're, they're people with a soul. They're people with a name. They're people who matter to you. God, for every person who's here today, God, I thank you that they matter to you, that you love them, that you want a relationship with them. Even when we've run far from you, God, I thank you that you want a relationship with us. Like, we can't understand it. I don't know. I don't know why anybody would trade a 27 Yankees baseball for a chewed up baseball. I don't know why you trade your life for mine, but God, you did. And I thank you for it. But I thank you for that life. And I thank you that when we put our trust in you, God, we have it. I want to ask you today, if you are here, and just keep praying. You can pray. Just, just be praying. You know Christ, pray for those who don't. Pray that God would open their hearts. This is what I want to ask you. I want to, I want to ask you this question. That today you don't know him. You say, I've never put my trust in him. I've never put my feet firmly on that foundation. I've never been building my house on a rock. I don't know him. I need to be saved. I need to come to a relationship with Christ and receive the righteousness that he has. Here's the thing I want to ask. You want to do that today. You've never done that before. And we want to celebrate that with you. We want to celebrate that decision. We want to pray with you and walk with you and hope you take your next steps following Jesus as you build on his foundation, on him, following his word. If you're here today and you would like to do that, you'd like to know Christ and make a decision for him, would you stand to your feet right now and just say, I'd like to know Jesus. I need to exchange this old life for the life that Jesus offers me. Would you stand to your feet and let us celebrate that with you? Would you be bold enough and courageous enough to stand and say, I need Christ. I need to be planted on the rock. Here's my second question. You're in a place where feels like everything around you is slipping. And today you'd say, I just need prayer. I just need somebody to pray for me. My heart's hurting. I'm not real sure about tomorrow. Things just aren't looking up. My encouragement would be to look up to God. Trust in Him and cling to Him. You say today, I could just use prayer. I just need somebody to pray for me. I'm going to ask you, would you stand to your feet and let us pray for you today? Just right where you are, you just stand. Amen. There's no, listen, bad people don't need prayer. All people need prayer. We all need to be prayed for. Things just seem to be falling around. People are standing up. It's okay to stand up and say, God, I need you. All right? Well, let's pray for those who are standing. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the hearts of these folks. And 
God, I thank you for their lives, and I thank you for who they are. God, I thank you that you want to know them, God, that you have called them by name. And I pray they would just rest in you, Lord. I pray for the supernatural peace to flood through them. I pray, God, that they would um, just, just be able to sense your presence. God, we know that this world will put more on us than we can handle, but God, we know we'll never put more on you than you can handle. And so, God, I pray that they'll be able to cast that on you, trusting you. And God, I pray your spirit would flood their lives. Let us surround them as a body. Let us help them, God. In Jesus' name, amen.